If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Colossians chapter 3. As they're leaving, um, I meant to give these out last week, but of course I wasn't here. Last week was Family Sunday. All the kids stay in service with us. Sometimes we give out some resources on those days. I have two books left. These are amazing books that as parents you can walk through with your kids uh, on just explaining the Bible, on the history of the Bible. There's just a lot of really good information activities in here. This is a really neat new resource that just came out. And so if you're looking at ways, how do you talk about the Bible with your kids? How do you do Bible studies with them? It's a great new resource. And so I just encourage you to come see me. I have two left. First two gets them. Um, I love the month of November. It's just a neat month. It's a, a, kind of a time for at least me that everything kind of slows down and you just, you're able to reflect a little bit. When we come to Thanksgiving with our family, one of our traditions is that we go around the table and we all just say what we're thankful for. We'll say what we're thankful for with one another, what God has done in our own life, what God has done in our family, at work, or in various ways. And so, Uh, For the next few weeks, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, and we're just going to spend time remembering and rejoicing in what God has done for us in the gospel and what God is doing through us in the gospel. And so that's what we're going to do over these next couple of weeks. And Colossians 3 is kind of a, a special passage in my life because when I was in high school, we would go to the summer camps through our church, and one of the ways that we would earn scholarships is through memorizing passages of the Bible, which sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? It's like, here, we'll give you money if you memorize the Bible. Not necessarily good gospel motivation right there, so I admit there may be some flaws, um, but I memorized Colossians 3 uh, a little over 20 years ago, and I still have it memorized. And I, I love this passage, so I admit paying people to memorize God's Word maybe not the best way to do it, but possibly effective in some ways too. Uh, so uh, we're going to spend time in Colossians 3. And so I want to go ahead and encourage you to stand. One of the things we do here is we stand when we read God's Word. We do that because we believe God's Word is inerrant, infallible. It comes from the very breath of God. So this is a way that we honor Him and respect Him as we come into His Word. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, today as we look at your passage and we look at what you have done for us in the gospel and how you are working in us right now because of the gospel. Lord, I pray for clarity. I pray that your spirit would work refining our hearts, exposing any sin in our life, that we would confess it. And God, I pray that you draw us closer to you, that we'd be made more into your image, that we would grow in joy and thankfulness for who you are, for what you have done, and for who we are now because of that. God, we thank you for your word, your perfect word that reveals to us you and how you love us. God, give us wisdom and understanding this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Uh, So what we're going to do today, uh, the title is Forever Grace, and what we're going to look at is how we have been made new in Christ. That's kind of the, the, this three-week series that we're doing is just going to be called New Life in Christ. What does it mean to have new life in Christ? Someone comes to be a believer. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so we're just going to walk through this passage and see what becomes new in our lives, what becomes new about us because of the gospel. And the very first thing, so we have this broken up into three uh, sections, and we'll start off with new life. One of the first things we see is that we have new life. Paul says, in the very first few words here, is that you have been made alive with Christ. 
And the words if then, they don't refer to a possibility like maybe you've been raised alive with Christ, but they rather refer to a reality. So in a sense, you could translate it, and I believe this is how the NIV does it, since then, since you have been raised with Christ. So he's saying, as a reality, because you have had faith in Jesus Christ, because you've believed in Jesus Christ, you have been raised with Christ. So a fundamental truth for every believer that we, we must know is that by faith in Christ, we are made alive. Many of you know the show, kind of Walking Dead. Zombies are quite popular today. I, I, I can't watch those things. I just think they're disgusting. Um, I have no, no desire to watch any of that. But we've gone from the Walking Dead prior to Christ, and then through Christ, we become alive and become sons and daughters of God. And this transformation has nothing to do with our power or with our abilities, but it's only because of Christ, of being united with Christ. And Paul says, if you look, he says, we've been raised with Christ. It actually means that we've been co-resurrected with Christ. So Paul is saying, just as Jesus died, went into the grave, and then three days later rose again, when we by faith believe in him, just as he rose, we are said to have risen with him. And now, just as he had new life coming out of the grave, so now we, with him, have new life. So what that means is that by faith in Jesus, right now, we experience the presence of God. And so this is why it's kind of interesting. Did this whole uh, conference this last couple days on the presence of God, and I'd been wrestling with the presence of God throughout this whole sermon uh, leading up to today, and so maybe a few things were adjusted a little bit out of clarity from yesterday, but also it felt kind of good. You know when you, when you hear someone um, from God's word saying things that you've been wrestling with and it's the same thing, you kind of feel good that you're on the same track. There's a, there's a, there's a comfort there and so there was, a, there was a comfort even as I went to the conference that, okay, I'm not so far off when we get into this union with Christ. Um, but Paul is saying that one of the greatest Christian doctrines that we have is this union with Christ. It, it, in fact, when we look at all of salvation, it's union with Christ, which is the basis for everything else. In fact, one theologian said, there is no benefits of the gospel apart from our union with Christ. And so, of course, what, what does that mean then? What does it mean when we start talking about union with Christ? Well, it means that by faith in Christ, his works become our works. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His identity has become our identity. His victory has become our victory. He now dwells in us, and we experience his presence in our lives every single day. And men, indeed, it's good news. Like this is, this is foundational, fundamental truth to everything else in the Christian life. Paul says in Ephesians 1, that as believers, we have every spiritual blessing. Do you know why you have every spiritual blessing? Like that's, not a, that's not just a, um, an exaggeration that Paul is bringing about, but we literally have every blessing because being united with Christ means that we possess all that Christ possesses. All that Jesus has now becomes ours in him. That's how we have every single spiritual blessing. And when we get into the letters of Paul, almost every letter you can just find thick language of union with Christ. You'll often see it in things like in him, with him. And so let me just read a few passages. And we're just going to stay in Colossians. We're going to be in a lot in Colossians today. Chapter 2, verse 6. He says, as we received Jesus Christ, so we are to walk in him. Oh, and Alan I am not controlling it today. And so there's a lot of blanks coming, and I'll try to keep you going with them. Um, we should be good. Chapter 2, verse 10, it says, you have been filled in him. Chapter 2, verse 11, in him you also were circumcised. Chapter 2, verse 12, it says, having been buried with him. So 
when Jesus was buried, we, in a sense, died with him because we're united with him. And then it says, you were also raised with him. When he rose from the grave, by our faith in Christ, we rise also with him. And we can just go throughout the letters of Paul, looking at this in him, with him language, showing that we've been united with Christ forever. And so who is this Christ we've been united to? In Colossians chapter 2, Paul's going to be addressing a heresy that's come about in the Colossian church. And we're not 100% sure what it is, but we can kind of piece some things together. What it does, it looks like that false teachers have come in, they've minimized the work of Jesus Christ, and they're circumventing Jesus Christ. So what they would say is something like, we're really glad that you're following Jesus now. And he has gotten you off to a great start. And now, if you want to continue to grow in your salvation, if you want to grow in holiness, if you want to really have visions of God, you don't need to look at Jesus. You don't need to come through Jesus, but it begins giving you rules and regulations. We see that there was probably some type of um, Old Testament Jewish thought here. In verse 16 in chapter 2, it talks about... um, Food and drink, festivals, new moon and Sabbath, things that Old Testament Jews would have been, um, uh, would have been celebrating and, and practicing. We see that in verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. They were saying, look, if you really want to grow in Christ, you need to avoid these kinds of things. They practice severe forms of asceticism, which is um, forms of self-mutilation, or self-denial. So saying, look, if you deny yourself all of this, it's going to bring you into a higher spiritual state. It's not through Jesus, but it's through these other means. So what they would say is Jesus plus something will really equal your salvation. And in fact, in, um, in verse uh, 18, it talks about being puffed up with visions. There's a thought that um, what the Old Test or what the false teachers were doing is saying, uh, if you really want to see the vision of God, if you really want to see the throne room of God, pictures like we see in Ezekiel and other parts of the Bible, well then, this is how you do that. And it's through these other practices. They were circumventing Jesus to try to get to God. They were saying, Jesus is good, just not sufficient. And if you think about it, There are some in our world that would say very similar things to that. Now, there are some who would say, look, Jesus, like, he's just, um, he's a nobody, he's a loser, we hate him, don't ever bring him up. There's some who just outright reject him, but there's also many who would say, man, I'm so glad you're following Jesus. That's, That's great. I'm sure he's going to help give you a little bit better life. I'm sure by following him, you'll kind of become a more well rounded person. And what they're saying is, he's a good person, but, they're, but they don't believe he's God. They don't believe he's the son of God. The world sees Jesus as possibly like a spiritual crutch, or maybe your own personal therapist who helps you navigate questions and navigate life, but he's certainly not the one who brings forgiveness of sins. He's certainly not the one who brings us into the very presence of God. And so Paul sees this, and he, now he's saying, you've been united with this Jesus, but he is very adamant at wanting us to know who is this Jesus. And so when we come into Colossians, and many of you know, like chapter 1, it is a gold mine for Christology, the study of Jesus, understanding who Jesus is. And so what I want us to do is, if you don't mind, turn to chapter 1, and we're just going to walk through passages. And we're going to have some blanks that come up on the screen to be filled in. Um, points in each of these, but we're just going to just take a few moments and just rest in the fact of who is this Christ? Who is this one that we've been united with, we've been raised with, and we have this life with now? So if you look at, uh, so number one, we're going to see that Jesus is supreme over all creation. Alan, that's going to be our first one, and we're just going to kind of go right through them, but Jesus is supreme over all, over all creation. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 15. He, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together." So what we have here is we have a God who he, he's made everything. Jesus not only created everything that we see, but what we're told is he holds it together. He sustains it. And he does that with his words. So right now, the reason you and I exist, the reason you and I breathe, the reason the earth is continuing to spin, the reason the, the whole entire creation cosmos just doesn't come crashing in on itself is because Jesus simply says, live. He holds everything together. When it says firstborn of all creation, it doesn't mean he's the first one created. It means he stands in relational priority above everything. He is above and first. He is the one who owns everything, possesses everything, has performed everything. Second one, Jesus is supreme over all new creation. What we have in Colossians, if you look at verse 18, we just continue on in that same passage. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So what we have here is that Jesus not only made everything originally, but what we know is that sin has distorted everything. Now, through the cross, he's making everything new and reconciling all things to himself. And it is his um, resurrection from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. That is the inauguration of the new heavens and new earth beginning to break in right now. So what he has done is he's begun this new creation that will climax when he returns, thus bringing the new heavens and new earth. Next one, Jesus is the fullness of God. Look at verse 19. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Paul's like, look, you've been raised with Christ. He's not a little God. He's not just some Greek mythology type thing. All the fullness of God dwells in him. Next one, Jesus is the head of the church. You see that in verse 18. You could also go to chapter 2, verse 19, where we see that he is the head. He is the head of the body, the church. In everything, he might be preeminent. Just pause for a second. Do you hear just these simple truths that we've gone through? This is our king. So we're in election season right now, and many of us, we're anxious, right, about the next president. We're anxious, what is this world going to come about? Who's going to be the next leader of America? Who's going to be the president? Um, Know this, the head of the church is not up for election. It is not the pope, and he does not change. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. He reigns now, he reigns forever, and he's preeminent above everything. America, we, and every other country will have tumultuous leaders, but the church will always have the perfect Jesus Christ as our King, our Savior, and our Lord. So whatever happens in the world, nothing changes the rulership of the church. Do you know that? Like, just rest in that as we go through Tuesday, and as we make our way into January where the next president will come in. Our King will never come up for election. Next one. Jesus is the conqueror of all kingdoms and rulers. Look at verse 13. I love this. This is like one of my favorite parts in Colossians. It says, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the, doma- from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Or God has done this through His Son. Look, we're all born in darkness. We're all born in sin. And here, by grace, what we're told is that when, when we believe in Jesus, we're raised with him, we also have a change of citizenship. We go from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We go from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. We become new citizens. And that transfership is all by grace in Christ. Next one, Jesus is the one who possesses all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Just skip to chapter 2, verse 3. 
Chapter 2, verse 3, it says, It's Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look, you can study science, you can study trees, you can study the clouds, you can study the moon and the stars and the cosmos, you can study the human body. You can understand all of those things a great deal. But if you don't know that Jesus is the one who made them, Jesus is the one who sustains them, Jesus is the one reconciling all things to himself through the cross, then you missed it. Nothing else matters if you miss the most foundational truth that Jesus has made all things for his glory. And so it's in him there is all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. While we might know some things apart from him, there is only true knowledge that comes through a right understanding of Jesus Christ. Next, and this is the last one, Jesus is the Redeemer forgiver and reconciler of man go to verse 14 in chapter 1 there we read it's in jesus in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins if you go back to verse 20 and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross see what paul does is he just he just sits and basks in who jesus is because what the Colossian heresy is, is that there's people trying to come around Jesus. And so when he's preparing us to understand we've been raised with him, he wants us to know who we've been raised with. He wants us to know who the head of the church is, who we now have life with. And we have been united to, not some demigod. We're big Avengers fans in my, in my family. It's because my wife, she's a superhero person. I'm really not, if you know. Um, and so it's all her. Probably know that's not true. Huge Avenger person. Love Avengers. We have like every single one of them. Um, and we will see all of them. I have a superhero complex. And I'm okay with that. But Thor is a demigod. He is not the one we've been raised with. He's not. He's not it's, we've not been raised with the popular kid at school. We've not been raised with some popular actor or actress. Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, or take your pit. Pick of, pit, pick of whoever you want. We've not been raised, praise God, with Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or any other presidential candidate ever. We've been raised by faith with Jesus Christ, the supreme cosmic king who in his infinite wisdom has come to redeem man, crush the kingdom of darkness, transfer us into his kingdom that forever we would know him and be with him, united to him in his very presence. He, he is magnificent in every way. His rule is perfect and his redemption is completely and absolutely sure. That's the one we've been raised with he's the one we've been united to and so let's go to the next section we see we have new life and that life is because we've been made with christ next because of this life we have a new focus we're given two commands as we progress in, in verse one and go to verse two it says seek the things that are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth so we're told to seek and to set our minds on things above. The things above are, are shown to be where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So we're talking the throne room. We're talking God. We're talking about our king. And that's being contrasted with seeking and setting our minds on things of earth, things that are below. So before we look at the commands, I just want to point out the flow of the passage. We begin, Paul says, you've been made alive with Christ. And it's after that truth we then have these commands. So, by grace you have been saved, raised with Christ, and now he says these are commands that tell us how we live. Paul doesn't say, listen Colossians, you guys are really close to being made new in Christ. This is what you do. You need to seek the things that are above, set your minds on things that are above. You do that good enough, then, guess what? You'll be made alive in Christ. So just by a little more effort, guys, you can do it, and, and then you'll be made alive. That's not what Paul says. That would not be a, a salvation by grace, but by works. But what he says is, you've been made alive in Christ, therefore this is now how 
you live. This is the very same thing. If you remember, when God redeems Israel out of Egypt, brings, of course, the ten plagues upon Egypt, crushes Egypt, basically undoes all of creation right there, he brings Israel out, baptizes them through the Red Sea, brings them to the mountain, and then he says, if you want to be my people, obey my commands. Is that what he says? No. He says, I have made you my people. You are now a kingdom to me of priests. And then he gives them the commands. He's already made them his. Now, the way they will experience his blessing and rule and presence is through the commands. It is never by commands that we earn the presence of God. We receive the presence of God by grace, and therefore then we are told how to live in light of that. We never earn our way into God's presence. So, what does it mean to seek the things that are above? We're just going to take them one at a time. Um, To seek Jesus, to seek the things that are above, that he's at the right hand of God, is to know that he's our king. So every day, one thing we ought to do is remind ourselves that Jesus is king. Every day, remind ourselves he is king. Remind ourselves every day we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Because you know what happens when we do that through the gospel every day? We stop looking at the world to provide all the things that we need. But we begin looking towards Jesus to supply all that we need for his provision, for his plans, for his protection, for his purposes, for his power. We begin looking to Jesus for that versus looking at the world for that. Just as in, if you go back to like the Middle Ages and there's actually castles and you'd have the citizens uh, of the kingdom and they'd be out in the fields, but if an enemy came, what would happen? They would all go into the castle and the king would protect them and provide everything that they needed. The king provided and um, supplied all that the people needed through his plans and his provision and his protection. That's what Jesus does for us now. So Paul is saying, look, before Christ, you looked at everything else. You try to find your identity in all the things of the world, but now you come to Jesus, and everything you need comes through him. Next, we have um, set our minds on things above. So what does that mean? Ultimately, to set your mind on something, Paul is saying, be determined to be like your king. And the reason I say it's to be like your king is if you skip down to verse 11, he's going to say that we're being made, renewed in the knowledge and the image of our creator. He's saying, you're being made like Jesus. That's the whole point. And in chapter 12, he's going to talk about things that we begin to put on, which we'll look at in the next couple of weeks. He's going to talk about we're to be compassionate and kind and patient and loving and bearing with one another. And who does that perfectly? Jesus. So Paul is saying to be determined to be made like Jesus for his character to become our character. So that's what it means to set our minds on the things above. So how do we do that? Like, how do we set our, our minds on things above? How do we seek the things that are above? Because I think often that's, that could sound kind of like just have faith. And when I ever tell you that, you're kind of struggling in your life right now. Well, just have faith. Okay. And they just kind of walk away. What does that mean? It's like this mysterious Christian language that we use. Like, I think we've all fallen into that. And we're probably all guilty of just being bad Christian counselors at times. Have faith. Okay. What does that mean? What does it mean to seek and set our minds on things above? Well, it means at least three things. It means the word of God, it means prayer, and it means God's people. And so we'll just kind of walk through those real quick because we're going to unpack that more as we go through next week and the following week. Think of God's word a little bit like a telescope. What a telescope does is it takes something huge, like like a planet, like Jupiter, and it's going to bring it close so that we can see it, so that we can examine it, so that we can better understand it. It takes something large and great and brings it close, reveals it to us. Well, what the Word of God does is it takes the infinite God and it reveals Him to us. 
Now, not everything about him, but it reveals him that we could know him, who he is, what he has done for us through Jesus Christ, who we become because of faith in Jesus Christ, how we now live, what is our hope. So God's word is a means of revealing to us God, his character. It's a way to, and it says, seek the things that are above the way we know the things that are above are through his word. When it says, set your minds on things above, like the character of God. Well, where do we see that? We come to that through the word. So if we're going to do that, we, we have to come to God's word. Next is prayer. Prayer is a way we exercise our faith. It's a way we lay hold of the very promises of God that we see in scripture. So next week, one of the things we're going to look at is verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. So we're going to read that, and so God's word is going to inform us that we still struggle with sin and that we're to put to death. Now, how do we do that? Well, part of it's now through prayer saying, God, I know that I've been raised with you, that you are in me, and that I now, because of you, have the strength to kill the very things that are earthly in me. So prayer is a means of exercising our faith, of depending upon God. It's a way of talking with him. It's a way of accessing his power and his strength so that he would apply it in our lives today. Next, it's the people of God. This is one that was um, helpful yesterday and, and brought more to my attention. Look, if you've been raised with Christ, and I've been raised with Christ, so that you and I both have the presence of God within us, what happens when we come together and study God's word together? Well, God's going to use you and God's going to use me on one another that we together would become more like Jesus. That's the beauty of when we gather with other Christians. Is God uses his presence in us as a means of refining us that together we become more like him. And one of the ways that we put to death the things that are in us, one of the ways then as we go on to verse 11 and verse 12, we put on our new nature in Christ, which that might all sound weird and strange to you at the moment, but we're going to go through that in the next couple of weeks. It's through Christian community. It's through the word, it's through prayer, and it's through believers who have the presence of God in them, rubbing against each other, refining one another, that together we would become more like Jesus. And we're going to spend more time on that in the next couple weeks, so it'll be unpacked more and more. Um, but can we really do this? Like, he's saying, seek the things that are above, look to God for everything, set your minds on things above, be made like God's character. Is that something you and I, we can actually do? Or do we feel like it's just kind of those exaggerated sayings, those just Christian, hey, grow in Christ, you can do it, good luck, read the Bible, that'll set you straight. Is that just kind of fall into those, those things that we say, but, but can we actually do it? Is there actually a power that God has given to us that the idea of being made more like him is not some hypothetical theory, but he's actually supplied everything we need that you and I can be made more in the image of Jesus today and every single day. We're going to get interactive for a moment, okay? We're all going to read verse 3, and then I'm going to ask you a question. So you've been forewarned what's going to happen. So let's look at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, this is no trick question. The answer is in the text. According to verse 3, where are you and I right now? Look at you. You guys are amazing. That's theologians right there. Do you know that, right? You've all just practiced about what it is to be a theologian. Studying God's word, taking truth out of God's word. That's great. You should all be like, that's all because it's God's spirit's working in you. You guys are amazing. You are hidden in Christ right now. And notice the flow of the thought. He says, set your minds on things above. Set your, um, seek the things that are above, Right? How do we do that? Or why do we do that? For you've died. Old self is dead. You've been raised with Christ, united with Jesus, and your 
life is hidden with Christ and God. So Paul's saying, look, the very means in which you're now going to become more like me is because my presence is in you. We are, we've been joined together. So not only at salvation do we enter into the presence of God, but it's now that very presence of God with us that enables us to become more like Jesus every single day. Do you see that truth? We've been hidden in Christ. The presence of God in you right now is the basis for us to be able to seek and set our minds on things above. It's because God's presence is in you that you can be made more like Jesus. Like that's good news. That means when God says that you are to be made more into his image, it's not deer in headlights. Can I do that? Is that even possible? But because his presence is in you, he's already working that about. He's already transforming you. He's already changing you. He's already giving you and I the desires to want to be made more like him. So now, when we look back at this, we began with grace, and in these commands that are given, they're not really even performed in our power, are they? But they're enabled by the very power of God in us. This is important. When you look at commands of Scripture, one of the things often that we do as Christians is we say, God wants me to do all these things. It just seems hard. It seems oppressive. But when we look at the flow of Scripture, every command that God gives you and I, He also supplies the means in how to fulfill it. Do you know that? Every command, He supplies the grace that you and I can actually do the command. Every command. Amen, indeed, it's so good news. Because this means it's not up to you and me. It's not, well, are you stronger? Am I stronger? Who's got this? Is it just the right side or the left side or the front row? Because we're always better in the front row. I tell you, front row Christians, I love that. Y'all should all move forward. We have lots of good seats up here. Um, but it's not about that. Even you in the back row can do this. Like, be encouraged. See, yeah, like, cheer. <laughs> there's more presence up here, I would say that. No, I'm not saying that. Let me, let me just say a couple things, though. Because we're hidden in Christ, we have full access to God now. We have full access to God. L- listen, you've probably heard this, and I cringe every time I hear this. This is what worship leaders will say a lot. This is faulty worship leaders will say this today. As we're here, let's just, let's just ask Jesus to join us. Today, let, let's ask that God would join us. Let's ask that God's presence would be with us today. What's the wrong understanding with that? That he's not with us already, but what do we know? I've been raised with Christ, united with Christ, and as a body when we join together, who's with us? God. If we're asking him to be with us, then we don't know this. This is foundational truth we always have access to God which means every single time you pray he hears every time you pray next because we're hidden in Christ we live in the presence of God we don't have to do mystical things to get his attention kind of what we see in Colossians here eat this don't eat this practice this try to have this vision then you'll be holy no we live in the presence of God So when you leave here today, you're going in the presence of God. When you come here today, you're coming in the presence of God. And you're being joined with a much greater sense in that we are the body of Christ. And lastly, because we're hidden in Christ, we possess the resurrection life now. We possess the resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and now he dwells within us. This is how Paul says it in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see that? I've died. I've now been resurrected with Christ, resurrection life. We're we're tasting that now. Do you know that? And it only gets sweeter as we grow in the knowledge of God and we move towards the day that he returns and we enter into the fullness of his presence for all of eternity. 
Okay, to sum up, we've been united with Christ, and it's on the basis of his presence that we can become more like him. Last point, we're given a new home. We have new life, we have new focus, new home. Look at verse 4, and I just love verse 4. When Christ, who is, also, who, is, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, interactive time. What's the promise? What's the promise? We'll appear with Jesus when he appears. Okay, this is told to people right now. Saying, right now, if you've been raised with Christ, then as you seek and set your minds on him, you're being made more like him, and you can know right now when he returns, where will you be? With him. Do you see the assurance there? God's presence not only raises us, not only refines us right now, but it also guarantees we will be forever with him. You ever struggle with assurance? Come to Colossians 3 right here. It's our union with God. This unbreakable bond that has taken place. Listen, the grace that has made us alive is also the grace that sustains us, which is also the grace that secures us for all of eternity. That's why we titled the message Forever Grace, because when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, His grace flows in us, through us, fills us, sustains us, transforms us. We swim in the grace of God forever. That's where we live. Listen, no other religion gives this because no other religion is a grace of works. And so let me give one, or is a, is a salvation of grace. All other religions are a grace or a salvation of works. Let me give one example. I'll give this example because we probably all know Catholic people. Um, we've all had experiences with them. The Catholic, the Catholic Church does not believe in, salvation, in assurance of salvation at all. They believe salvation depends upon faith plus works. That's very much what we see in Colossians. It's Jesus is good. You just got to close the deal yourself. Jesus put most of the puzzle together. You just got to put those last few pieces together. So that's the, the um, Catholic Church. The Council of Trent. I know. Now we're, we're all excited, right? Council of Trent. Ooh, we brought that up today. Um, 16th century, never been repudiated. Good. So this is a, a doctrine of the Catholic Church, and we could read a lot, but we're only going to read one statement. If anyone says that a man is born again and justified, so if anyone says you've been raised with Christ, you believed in Jesus, if anyone says that and is bound by faith to believe that he is assuredly in the number of the predestinate and that he has the gift of perseverance to the end, let him be anathema. So he says, if you believe you've been in Jesus Christ and because of that you think that you're actually secure, you should be cursed. That's the position of the Catholic Church. It's never been reputed, but what do we see here in the Gospel? In Colossians, the Word of God. We have that when we've been united with Christ, it's so that we'd be forever united with Christ. You have been joined with Christ now as the proof that you will forever dwell in the presence of God. This means we do not have to live in anxiety hoping that our good works will one day outweigh our bad. We do not have to do that. We do not need to perform some type of spiritual Olympics in order to be acceptable to Jesus. Let me give you a few things. God's presence in you now is in you now so you can live like Jesus. Just know that. He's in you right now so you can live like Jesus. God's presence is in you now so you can love your spouse like Jesus. There is absolutely nothing that your spouse does that because of the presence of God in you, you cannot love them as Jesus loves them. There's nothing that they can do. God's presence is in you now so you can shepherd your children in the gospel. You don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to know how it all works together. You don't have to be a great, great theologian to be able to shepherd your children. You have God in you. Understand that? And wherever you're at right now, God's growing you to be made more like Him so you can shepherd your children 
now. So when we talk about like doing Bible family time and worship times and using books like this or whatever, if that kind of strikes fear in you, like how would I talk about Jesus with my kids? I don't know, we've never done that. God is in you so you can. So whatever fear you have, God's presence crushes that fear because he's sufficient in you. God's presence is in you now so you can share the gospel with your neighbor, with your coworker, or you can be sent overseas to some unreached tribe in Africa or wherever God would lead you. You have everything you need because God is in you. Do you know that? You have everything you need. You do not need more knowledge, more information. When you have received Jesus Christ and his presence is in you, you have everything you need at that moment to tell people about Jesus. God's presence is, God's presence is in you now so you would not be enslaved to sin. You struggle with, with porn, with lust, with bitterness, with angry, with angry, <laughs> with angriness, with anger, with bitterness. You ever feel like you're just enslaved to him? Well, that's just who I am, I guess, until Jesus comes. It's just, just my, my battle. You have Christ in you. You have Christ in you working. Now, it doesn't mean it's just over in a day, but we have victory already because Christ has overcome all sin. And in him, we have victory. We fight sin not from a position of defeat, but from a position of victory. Do you know that? There is no sin that you are currently struggling with that there's not victory in in Christ. There's no sin. You have to know it's presence is in you. God's presence is in you now so you can help others grow in their faith. I know sometimes we feel totally inadequate. How could God ever use me to disciple someone else? Guess what? It's because you have God in you. God dwells in you so that as you talk to others about God, yes, we still need to grow in knowledge and we can always get better at it, but we can be used to help others grow in their faith. You have everything you need because God is in you. Last one. God's presence is in you now so you would know that you have eternal life now and that you can rest in the confidence that when Jesus returns, you will be with him forever. And the proof of that is not only have you been adopted, but you've been united in Christ. In two days, our country is going to vote for a new president. We're all excited. Not really. It's just, there's just fear in America right now, right? I mean, probably many of you are just scared. Um, listen, no matter what happens on Tuesday, it doesn't change the fact that you're alive in Jesus now. You know that? Like, Tuesday doesn't change that. It doesn't reverse that. There's no leader of any nation who will ever come upon this earth that can reverse what God has done in you. So we don't need to be afraid because Jesus is our king. And so as we seek him, as we set our minds on him, he's going to work in us because his presence is in us that we would be strengthened so we can pray for our next leader. We can be good citizens and pray and that we can support and that we can encourage and that we can be a light in this world because we've been transferred into a much greater kingdom where our citizenship is completely secure and our king will never come up for re-election because he is the one true king. So remember this. If you've believed in Jesus, then by grace you've been raised with Christ. You've been hidden in Christ, and you are guaranteed to be with Christ forever in the new heavens and new earth. That's the forever grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we just, we just thank you. God, this salvation, uh, we, we could not have made this type of salvation. We could not have drafted this God's salvation that comes through the crucified Jesus Christ is something that you have put forth 
before creation ever came about for the purpose of your glory so that you would be exalted in all nations by every language and every tongue and every tribe. And God, may we rejoice today that you have saved us, that you've united us with you, that we would forever praise you, that we would forever be in your presence, and that you would use us as a means of sharing your gospel, that more and more people would come to know you, experience your presence, and be a part of your body for all of eternity. God, we just thank you for that. We thank you that we have a joy that's in you and and a thanksgiving that is for sure and secure and unbreakable just as you are. God, we thank you that you rule above the heavens and earth and you rule above America and every other kingdom and every other nation. And we thank you that you are our God. And Lord, I pray that we grow in understanding and wisdom, and boldness because of your spirit within us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Uh, You all can stay standing. We always do um, some questions. If anyone has a question about the sermon, uh, one quick question today. How do you hear God, and how does God lead you? Um, It's a good question. Um, I, I would say primarily it's through the word of God. It's primarily going to be through God's Word. And I know you might just be like, great, 66 books, thousand-something chapters, no problem. Um, it's a process. It's a process. So it's okay wherever you're at right now. I know we, we all kind of just want to be at the end and have all the answers and know how to navigate all of life's choices right now. It's a process, and it's as we grow in God's Word And often as we do it in community with others, where others are able to speak truth into our life. That's one reason discipleship, community groups are so incredibly important because we're able then to to use the the wisdom of others, those who have maybe traveled a little longer than us, maybe those who have had more time in God's word. And so uh, the way you hear God's word is, or the way you hear God is through his word and especially with other believers. So I greatly encourage um, always be in relationship with other believers. We're trying to see more and more community groups get established here to help facilitate that. Um, so that's the answer there. Did you have something? And there we go.